any time that a child has health challenges, I know we as parents focus on making sure that we do everything to keep that child safe and we kind of lose ourselves in the process, which that losing of yourself can really be quite detrimental to parenting. I'm Debbie Reber, and welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. Overwhelm, sadness, guilt, stress, and exhaustion are common experiences for parents raising neurodivergent children. And this is especially true when that child is navigating the complex landscape of also living with a serious or chronic illness. Unpredictability, financial strain, impact on the siblings, uncertainty about a child's prognosis can all present significant challenges and lead to parental burnout. But according to my guest, Dr. Maureen Peterson, it's possible for parents of chronically ill children to regain control of their lives and thrive at fulfillment. And she would know as she has a distinct bird's eye view, both as a general pediatrician and allergist immunologist who has spent her career caring for patients with a variety of acute and chronic health problems and her firsthand experience of being a parent of a child with long-term health issues. I asked Maureen, who is also the author of the book, Reclaiming Life, a guide for parents of chronically ill children to talk with us about the ways in which managing chronic illness in children requires parents to navigate overwhelming emotions and advocate for their child's health, even when that advocacy can feel super uncomfortable, how maintaining perspective and turning challenges into gifts can help parents cope with the emotional toll of parenting a child with a chronic illness, and the importance of open communication with children and involving siblings in the care process in order to foster understanding and support within the family. Whether your child has asthma, severe allergies, diabetes, or some other chronic health condition, Maureen's guidance and coaching will give you practical strategies and reframes for finding more peace in your day-to-day lives. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hey, Maureen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me on your show. I truly appreciate you allowing me the time to chat with you and share some wisdom with your audience. Thank you. Well, thank you for reaching out to me about your work in a book. This has definitely been a season where I'm bringing a lot of new conversations to the show, which is very exciting to me and hopefully just bringing new insights to my listeners. So this is going to be a good conversation. But before we get into the meat of it and talk about your book, I would love if you could just tell us a little bit about who you are. Yeah, so I will kind of share with you the somewhat abbreviated version of my life story and kind of how I got here. So when I I was a kid, like my two big dreams were being a doctor and being a mom. I was very fortunate and got to achieve both of those dreams. During my pediatric residency, my daughter, who 
was my second born child, was an infant at the time and was diagnosed with pediatric neuroblastoma, which is a type of pediatric cancer. At that time, it felt like the carpet was pulled out from under me. I went into a very dark place, kind of being led by fear and overwhelm and guilt and and all the emotions. She went through surgery, chemo, the whole works. And, you know, with time and with the support of friends, like things got better for me personally. She did very well through the the therapy. Then fast forward when she was 12, she texted me from school one day and said, I'm peeing a lot at school. You need to bring home whatever you need to bring home to fix me. So I, in my mind, think she must have a urinary tract infection because we've already been through this bad thing. And I get from the pediatrics clinic a urine collection cup and a urine dipstick and bring it to her school because I didn't want to go all the way home to figure out she had a UTI. I get to her school. She pees in the cup in a school bathroom and I go in afterwards, dip her urine in this tiny school bathroom and realize immediately she has lots of sugar in her urine, which there's only one diagnosis and that's type 1 diabetes. And in that moment, all of the emotions from the previous time of all of her cancer journey kind of came rushing back. And I knew that I needed to take proactive steps so that I wouldn't wind up in such a dark place that I had been earlier. And through kind of that journey of learning how to manage life as a professional and as a mom to a kid with a chronic illness, it has led me to be very passionate about helping other families who have gone on a similar journey in their family life. Yeah, your story is so compelling. And you share it throughout the book. And it's very personal. And actually, I love the way you structured the book. And I should probably actually share the name of the book before my brain takes me in all different directions. So listeners, Maureen wrote a book about our experience for parents called Reclaiming Life, a guide for parents of chronically ill children. And you know, Maureen, when you first reached out to me, I was intrigued because I know that a lot of parents in our community are also dealing with chronic illness. So whether that's severe food allergies or whatever that looks like for them. So I was super interested to read your book. And then there's also just so much of your personal journey that is relatable, even if the specific topic of chronic illness isn't impacting you. So as a way to kind of get started, could we even just kind of define what chronic illness is? Listeners may not know what that actually encompasses. Yeah. So just, you know, in terms of a medical definition, the word chronic means lasting longer than six weeks. To me, A chronic illness is anything that is on the top of your mind frequently. And for parents, on the top of their kind of worry list. So it it can be something like asthma or food allergies or 
cancer or diabetes and anywhere kind of in between. But any time that a child has health challenges, I know we as parents focus on making sure that we do everything to keep that child safe and we kind of lose ourselves in the process, which that losing of yourself can really be quite detrimental to parenting. And you mentioned the word overwhelm earlier. And as you were talking right now, that's kind of what I feel the sense of, you know, too many pieces, too much to do. I have to do all the things. The stakes feel so high. And one of the things that you wrote about when your daughter was younger, you wrote, I lived in a constant storm filled with storm clouds filled with overwhelm. This emotion rained down on me every day and I had no umbrella to protect me from the downpour. The feeling increased my fatigue and caused me to further ignore taking care of anyone except Kylie. I had often heard, fake it till you make it, but no matter how many times I said I'm fine, it wasn't changing the reality that I really wasn't okay. So I think that quote jumped out at me because I think it's very relatable. And I'm just wondering, how do you help parents or how do you guide parents in managing that overwhelm? I have to imagine that it's pervasive. Yeah. So the very first thing is labeling that you're overwhelmed and admitting to the fact that you're overwhelmed. That when I talk about this in the book, that I felt like if I asked for help from someone, it was like I was failing as a mom. And I had this deep deep rooted dream of being this awesome mom that failing at that mission was like incomprehensible to me. So in my mind, I thought, well, if I ask for help, I'm failing. The truth in the matter is that we all, as we go through life, whether our kids have health challenges or not, are always going to be faced with challenges. And labeling that we are overwhelmed can help with really processing that emotion and be able to know that it's okay to be overwhelmed. What parent isn't going to be overwhelmed when their kid just gets diagnosed with cancer or diabetes? And that's normal. It's just that our brain freaks out. And when we realize, hey, nothing's wrong here, that it's okay, then we can start figuring out how to manage the things on our plate. And that management may include delegating things to other individuals, but it really is prioritizing what's on our plate so that we don't feel guilty when something doesn't get done in a day. Is it possible? We were just having a conversation in my parenting community last night about guilt and how so many of us feel it. If I would have done this, you know, the shoulds, if I could do this over or I made the wrong decisions. So can you talk about that maybe in your own life, how that showed up for you? Oh, yeah. Again, it goes back to understanding that guilt from all of these, you know, should, would, could thoughts that go in our brain is normal, but it also is something that we don't need to 
continue to think or feel. And a good analogy is that if somebody touches a hot stove, we want them to feel pain so that they pull their hand away. So that feeling of pain is actually a good thing because it's giving them kind of a warning sign that, hey, that stove is hot. What we don't want to do is have them keep their hand on the stove. So that is related to what we were saying about guilt, that guilt, that emotion and dwelling in that emotion of guilt is kind of like keeping our hand on the stove. It does not serve us at all. It's not helping us move forward. It is realizing, okay, it's there because maybe I want to do something differently in the future, but letting it go needs to happen so that you can take the next step in the future. And certainly, you know, we are all humans. And with being a human means you're not perfect. And even I, as a physician, when it comes to advocating, you know, have goofed up at times and have thought to myself, like, I should have done this when I was in that doctor's office with my daughter, or I wish that I had asked them about this, or I could have been a little firmer in what I wanted. But it's the realization that your mind is obsessing about it. And if you can stop allowing it to obsess and just be curious and learn, and then realize you can do it differently next time and move on. And that is the way we keep taking a step forward and growing. Yeah, I love that analogy. And that's just such a good visual to think about next time. You know, we're kind of beating ourselves up thinking, why am I keeping my hand on the stove? I love that. It makes total sense. And It's also an invitation to really lean into self-compassion in those moments. So get your hand off the stove and do what you need to do in that moment to be kind and gentle to yourself. Yeah. Another like trick is something I really firmly believe is that every challenge in life, we have two choices when we're facing them. One is we can sit in the corner and pretend like it's not happening and allow life to happen to us, or we can make the decision that, you know what, like this challenge can be turned into a gift and I'm going to have life happen for me. And so in those moments of of guilt on whatever somebody, whatever thoughts are creating that emotion, if you ask yourself and you pause in the moment and say, how can I make this challenge or this, what I did, what I should have done or what I could have done, how can I turn it into a gift and what can I learn from it? And by giving your brain a job to do that's helpful allows us to get out of this overwhelming guilt where we're obsessing about an emotion and keeping our hand on the stove. Yeah, I want to speak to that a little bit more, this idea of turning it into a gift. And we'll do that right after a quick break. 
So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to up-level our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, whatever the reason, I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes, developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites? turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60tilt and use code 60tilt to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60tilt at greenchef.com slash 60tilt. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body, and so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com tilt for 25% off. So you were just talking about the power actually of giving our brain a job of thinking about this is where we can grow from this. What can we learn? And I like that reframe too, because I think sometimes we simplify it. Like this isn't happening to me, it's happening for me. But that can seem kind of trite and not real in the moment. So knowing that actually this is important because it's giving our brain something to do. It's giving our brain a job. And You also have a chapter in the book where you talk about maintaining perspective and how important that is and how critical it is that we don't kind of stay in this why me mode or this victim mode. And I'm thinking that's also going to be so critical for how our kids experience their chronic illness and what's happening with them. Could you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've had a lot of parents say that they want to protect their child from 
the worry and fear and all the emotions that go into having any sort of health challenge. And one of the things that I work with them on is really understanding that a parent's ability to be vulnerable is a really good teaching moment because that vulnerability allows the child to learn by watching and the child learns, you know what, it's normal to have feelings of stress or fear or overwhelm or any of it, but shielding them from seeing and labeling and processing those emotions, it can be quite detrimental to our kids because they're thinking that, hey, challenges can come at me and I can be very stoic like mom was previously or dad was previously. And that's just not how life happens, that life happens with good things and bad things. And so using that opportunity to teach a kid how to deal with things in the bad moments is such a valuable life lesson. Yeah. And just a little bit more on that piece. If parents are listening to this and they have kids who are dealing with chronic illness or just parents who are listening who have neurodivergent kids wondering, why am I dealing with this? Why me? Why am I dyslexic? Why do I have to be dealing with all the things that come with being this complex human? How would you guide people other than kind of modeling your own vulnerability through that process? Like, Do you have any thoughts on how parents can best help their kids? Not saying that they have to love it and embrace it, but how can we help them have some sort of relationship with who they are in that way? Yeah. And, you know, the biggest advice that I can say is having open communication and allowing a child to express their thoughts and feelings in a way that they're developmentally able to. Because allowing the opportunity for them to share, and you know, sometimes what they share may sound really wonky to us as wiser adults, such as my older kiddo at one point in time said to me and explained to me about feeling jealous over his sister's diabetes. And to an adult, being jealous over somebody's chronic illness sounds really weird. Like, why would you want a chronic illness? Like, that's crazy. But to a kid, it means that a chronic illness is shifting the parent's attention to that child. And so they're verbalizing their emotions in a way that, like I said, is developmentally appropriate for their their stage in life. So allowing them to have that opportunity to express what they're thinking and do it in a way that isn't going to shame them is super important. Yeah, that's so helpful. And it makes me think about the sibling dynamic. And I know you have two kids and 
I imagine and understand that dealing with a serious chronic illness is going to impact the whole family. And I imagine there might be jealousy from the sibling who's not dealing with that. So how did you navigate that? And how can families kind of just make sure that everyone's needs are being met and that the family doesn't pay a huge price for what's happening? Yeah. And, you know, for sure, a big diagnosis for one member of the family is going to impact the entire dynamic. But again, as parents, we can look at it as an opportunity for or a gift, like we were talking about before, to be able to teach the siblings about that diagnosis, to be able to teach them about advocating for somebody who is different than them, and to also include them in whatever the issue is. And that inclusion can give them a purpose. And we all know that if you have a sense of purpose and meaning in life, like you will be kind of spiritually happier. So doing that for a sibling where we can give them a job, whether it's, you know, in terms of type one diabetes, you know, having them be there with the glucose monitor and strips to be ready to do the, the finger prick with their sibling, like gives them a purpose. And that can be very helpful. Um, but also, again, allowing them the time to have mommy, daddy date night with the sibling to allow them the opportunity to share their thoughts and feelings on what's going on and and just have the only attention be on them can also be very helpful. Yeah, I would think that would be so important and just validating, right? All the feels. Yeah. And, you know, I I mean, that's such a great time to celebrate the sibling and to celebrate, you know, them stepping up to help out with whatever challenge is going on with the family and to celebrate whatever accomplishments they have made in their young child life. It can be very powerful for sure. So I want to pivot and talk a little bit about another huge emotion that I know is part of the experience for any parent navigating this journey, and that is fear. And we'll do that right after a quick break. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, 
the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone, our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com club. That's tiltparenting.com club. I hope to see you on the inside. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought provoking experts and friends at Mindful Mama. We know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Okay, so in your book, you shared a story. I was really gripped um, as I was reading it. And you shared a story about when your daughter was, I think, in her early 20s. She was living on her own and you had a scary night because you couldn't reach her. I'm wondering if you would be willing to share that story with our listeners. Yeah, sure. It happened, I think, three years ago. And she, at that time, had been diabetic for nine-ish years. And we had always had this kind of dance where she wears a continuous glucose monitor that feeds to an app to my phone. So I can see if her blood sugar is high or her blood sugar is low. And anytime I got alerted, our dance would be, I'd give it a minute or two. And she would text me saying, you know, I've got it. If I didn't hear anything from her, I would text her and say, you know, fixing question mark. And she would you know, that is her prompt to text me back right away. Well, this one particular night was super scary because I got alerted that her blood sugar was low. I gave it a minute, nothing. I, you know, did my usual fixing question mark, nothing, and did it again, nothing, called her, nothing, FaceTimed her, nothing. Her boyfriend, who's now her husband, lived in another state at the time. And I texted him and said, do you know how to get a hold of her? And he said, I have the next door neighbor's phone number. He tried to get a hold of the next door neighbor while I tried to continue to get a hold of my daughter. It was truly frightening. And I ended up calling the police who went to her door. She was fine, but her phone was off. And thank goodness I called because I'm not sure if I ignored it, kind of what would have happened. So the story had a happy ending, but oh yeah, fear, that was an emotion of the night. And when the police officers came to the house and woke her up, they 
you know, had her come outside and drink some orange juice that they had. And she looking all like disheveled with her bedhead. They say to her like, oh, you poor girl. And she sees how many times I have called her on her phone. And she looks at her phone and then looks at them and says, oh no, my poor mother. And it was in that time that I kind of realized that fear is always a part of a parent's life. Whether you have a kid with a chronic illness or not, it's part of your life because you want your kid to be safe and healthy. And in those moments of life when we can't get a hold of our kid or maybe they're late for a curfew and we can't track him down, that fear is there. And it's though the realization that our lives don't need to be led by fear. Fear is going to pop up just like what we were talking about earlier with, it's going to be a hand on the stove moment. But the next night after that, I don't need to go through all of the kind of emotional trauma that I had gone through the night before, that it's there, but I'm not letting it lead me. So, you know, one of the things that I often tell parents is in life, all of these emotions come up, but don't let them be in the driver's seat of your car in your journey in life. Like take those emotions like fear and put them in the trunk of the car and have them go along for the ride, but don't have them grab onto the steering wheel. That's your job. And so is that really the key then? I mean, because in reading that story, it's like for all parents, yes, it's just when you're in that moment, right? It just feels intolerable. Like We can go to that all or nothing thinking so easily that you talk about, like, I can't do this, right? So is it just finding a way to, in those moments, remind yourself that this is just an emotion that you're feeling as opposed to the truth? Yeah. And it's the telling yourself, this is temporary, that it's not going to last forever. I need to to be here in the moment and have this emotion, but it's I have a choice of how long it's going to last. And all of these things that we're talking about, like how to manage overwhelm and guilt and fear, it takes practice on doing these things that I don't want anybody to think oh my goodness, like I just snap and snap my fingers and boom, I come out of fear or guilt or overwhelm. It it is daily practice to remind yourself that you have control over your brain and have control over your thoughts. And those thoughts really are the thing that are generating your emotions. And you know, when going back to the story of what happened with my daughter and the low blood sugar, don't think that I didn't do something to learn from it and set up a safeguard for next time. Like I have her neighbor's cell phone, you know, 
programmed in my contact and we set up a landline in our house and you learn from it and grow. Don't just sit there being fearful 24-7 because there's no good that comes out of that. Thank you for that. Okay. So related to what you just shared, I'd like to talk about this idea of a handoff of care. I don't know if that's the right language. We talk a lot about this in this community about scaffolding skills for our kids so that we're kind of helping our kids gain the skills so they can have more agency over their lives and what's happening. And I imagine with the stakes so high, when you have a child who has chronic illness, and it could be a life or death situation, there must be just this immense sense of responsibility for making sure your child grows into an adult who can tend to their own medical needs. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about navigating that handoff or what that progression looks like for parents. Yeah, it kind of goes back to what I was just saying about practicing. A handoff like that is not going to happen from one day to the next. That boom, you're going to have a kid who has never taken care of their illness to the next day they're going to manage everything. That it is really giving them a little bit of leeway that is appropriate for their developmental age and allowing for some mistakes to happen because like we've been saying, you know, nobody's perfect. And that means our kids aren't perfect either. They need to make mistakes and we need to allow them to grow and learn from them. But not giving them the opportunity to make those mistakes is really not allowing our child to have that kind of handoff and to be able to really manage themselves. The other thing that is super important in that kind of handoff process is having the child watch us advocate for them in their health journey. Again, Shielding them from these moments of advocacy that we do for our kids robs them of this opportunity to learn how to advocate for themselves. And so them watching us and learning from what we do well and what we could have done better allows them to grow in their knowledge so that that handoff becomes a little more seamless over time. But again, it's not going to be one day to the next. It is kind of a more gradual growth that allows for successes and failures. That's great. Thank you. Okay, I have one more question before we wrap up, because as you were talking, you mentioned advocating, and that's something you talk about. You actually mentioned it at the beginning of this conversation, that you felt you didn't advocate strongly enough, and you're a pediatrician, and you still had that struggle. And so this is also something I hear from so many parents that we feel ill-equipped, or we don't have a voice, or we don't know how to kind of best push for what we believe and know deeply our child needs in a situation. So you have in your book three rules for effectively disagreeing, which I loved. They are be fascinated, stay engaged, and be aware of how you feel. So I'm wondering if you could just take 
a few minutes to talk about those. Yeah, you know, when we think about advocating, oftentimes our mind goes to this place that we're going to have to like have a battle with our healthcare provider or have a battle with our school system. And that kind of thought will lead us to this kind of anxious emotion. So we are coming into that kind of advocacy meeting with guns ablazing already. So taking a different approach and having that approach be in a place of curiosity allows the emotion to be in a much calmer space. I even teach parents about before any sort of advocacy appointment or meeting to jot down what their questions or thoughts are that they want to make sure are addressed at that at that appointment. And that that list functions for two different things. One, it makes sure that in the moment you don't forget anything so that you have a checklist of knowing everything you want addressed. But the other piece of it is it allows you to go back to that list when you can feel emotions getting a little tense because you can objectively look at the list and go on to kind of the next thing or next topic. But the curiosity piece allows a conversation to get to kind of a mutual understanding. I firmly believe that nobody is 100% wrong. So, That belief helps me because in the moments where I initially think they're wrong, they're dead wrong, that it tells my brain, no, we're going to look for the 10% right in what they're saying. And so we're going to keep asking questions to try to figure out where that golden nugget of information is in what they're saying. And again, it goes back to giving your brain a job, allows it to focus on something that is productive, that allows you to leave that appointment with this huge amount of trust because you're being curious and inquisitive in a very calm, respectful way. That's such great advice. And that advocacy piece is something that's just so hard for so many families and so many parents. If they're naturally more conflict averse, or they're just really uncomfortable with that. Well, and you know, one of the things that I have found is that parents go into it thinking that doctors or school professionals are on this like huge pedestal and that going into it like I'll never be on that pedestal with them. And that is a dangerous belief because it is not allowing that health provider or school provider to make a mistake or be wrong or be human that, you know, 
doctors have bad days too. They're not perfect. And making sure that they're not on this kind of invisible pedestal really helps that conversation too. The healthcare provider may know a lot about medicine and the diagnosis that the patient has, but they're still human. And forgetting that is just dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Such great advice. Thank you. I do want to wrap up this conversation. But first of all, I just want to say that I so appreciate what you shared and the way that you share your experience in this book. It is really powerful. And you also include examples of how you experience this as a physician, which is so helpful to get that other lens. So listeners, again, the book is called Reclaiming Life, A Guide for Parents of Chronically Ill Children. And Maureen, is there a place where listeners can go if they want to learn more about you in the book? Yeah, absolutely. I have a website, MaureenMichelleMD.com. Michelle is with one L. And the book is on there. There's more about me on there. The book is also on Amazon. Thank you. And listeners, as always, I will have links in the show notes to Maureen's website and the book and anything else that came up in our conversation. I will pop it on there. So thank you again, Maureen. Thank you so much for this conversation. I am so glad you reached out to me. And I just really enjoyed getting into all of this with you today. I love this conversation. And I, like I said at the beginning, you know, really, truly appreciate you and the work that you're doing to help families. I truly applaud you. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. If you want to learn more about today's guest and the resources we talked about, you can always go to the extensive show notes page on tiltparenting.com. There you'll find key takeaways, links to all the resources that were discussed, and even a full transcript of our conversation. Just go to tiltparenting.com slash podcast and select this episode. The Tilt Parenting Podcast is hosted by me, Debbie Reber, author of the book Differently Wired and the founder of Tilt Parenting. And it was edited by my wonderful producer, Andrea Curtis Amasquita. If you want to support this show, please consider joining my Patreon campaign and making a small monthly contribution. Just go to patreon.com slash tilt parenting to learn more. If you want to follow tilt on social media, go to at tilt parenting on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, please take a minute to leave a five star rating or review on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts that helps the show stay visible so others can easily find it. Thanks so much. And that's all for this week. Stay safe, stay well, and take good care. And for more information about any of the parenting resources Tilt offers, visit TiltParenting.com. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us 